Well, we uh, pick back up in our series called The Big 12. Um, we've covered a lot of ground uh, so far. We started with Adam. Uh, we talked about Adam and Abraham. We talked about Jacob and Joseph. Uh, we've talked about Moses and Ruth and King David, Solomon. We've talked about the prophets. Um, we've talked about uh, Ezekiel, or no, sorry, Elijah. And then we've also talked about Jonah. And so now we're in another prophet. Um, we're in uh, the prophet Daniel. And so if you have your Bibles, I would ask that you would open them with me to the book of Daniel and follow along. Um, if you need to, there is a table of contents in the front of your Bible, in case you're wondering, where is Daniel? There's a table of contents. Please check that out. It has the page number on it, as well as, um, as you're flipping through, uh, Daniel is right in the middle. Uh, it is after uh, Ezekiel, and it is before Hosea. Okay, so Ezekiel's a big, big book. And so as you're flipping through, you're like, all right, I'm in Ezekiel. Daniel's coming. All right, it is, it is coming. Um, as we open up to the book of Daniel, uh, it's Daniel, the book is broken into two sections. It is, uh, is chapters one through six are really stories uh, about Daniel and his companions. They're hero stories, basically. And chapters seven through 12 or, are more about prophecy. They're more of Daniel's prophecies as he's dealing with kings and rulers about present, future events. Uh, and so we are going to not go into as much depth about the prophecy. We're going to spend most of our time dealing with chapters 1 through 6, talking about the hero stories. And even within that, um, you guys can mark, we're not going to deal, there's six chapters, and in each chapter there's kind of a hero story. We're only going to be dealing with four of those. And so you can mark it, we're going to be doing chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 5, and chapter 6. In case you're wanting to skim through and follow along, um, which I really urge you to do, um, we, why we are going through the Big 12 is that as we look at these characters, we get to know ourselves. I hope, I know for me, as I study these characters, the more I see about myself, the more I see about areas in which God has called me to improve, areas of weakness, areas of sinfulness, and also I see areas where the Lord has cultivated faithfulness. And I see that it's not by me, it's, it's through Him, and because I see these same things in these characters. So not only do I, I see myself more, I hope that you do too, I hope that you begin to see more of yourself. You get to have a better understanding of who you are based on who they were and how God worked in their life. But also we get to know who they are as our spiritual families, our spiritual ancestors, their stories and, uh, and how God worked in them might be similar or different than us. Um, but more importantly, we look at them because ultimately they teach us about Jesus. They show us, and through looking at their example, through looking at their lives, we get to better understand who Christ is and what it is that he has done for us. And so those are, those are why, we, why we look at and why we do what we're doing. So um, we're going to be looking at a very specific theme as we go through Daniel. There's a lot of things we can look at, but we're going to look at a very specific theme, namely how Daniel pursued holiness. Right? How Daniel pursued holiness. So let's go ahead and, and, uh, and give the overview or some, uh, some examples of the stories within Daniel. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Daniel was likely a, a teenager when King Nebuchadnezzar came into Judah and conquered Jerusalem. He would have laid siege to it. And he, take, he, he took the vessels of gold from the temple. And he took likely around 10,000 of the use those that were intelligent from the noble and the priestly and the kingly class of nobility, those that were intelligent and educated, that were handsome in appearance. God gave King Nebuchadnezzar these things. He gave 
Judah over into King Nebuchadnezzar's hands because of their rebellion and because of their sin. Daniel would have been swept up in this, taken from his homeland as only a teen, taken into a language and a place where he'd never been, to a people he didn't know that worshipped a God that he didn't serve. It's in this context that they took Daniel and his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as their names were changed to, and they were trained for three years. They were trained um, to know the literature, to understand the language, to be given um, wisdom and their way of le- in their way of life that they might give counsel. But part of the training for this three years was they were instructed and fed with the king's food. They were to be given the best of the best, the king's food and the king's wine. There's a problem though. Daniel and his companions knew that they couldn't eat of it. Lest they be defiled against their God. And so they refused. They refused to eat the king's food at the risk of their lives, at the risk of their manager's lives. They said, instead, let us be tested. Test us. Test your servants and give us vegetables and give us water. And ten days, see our appearance. See if we are not healthier than the others. And so the manager gave ten days and let the period of testing happen. At the end of ten days, they were found to be in better form and appearance and stronger than the rest. And so they continued on, trusting in God, refusing to be defiled by the food that the king was giving. Now, three years had passed, and they were brought before the king, and God granted them. God gave them favor, and he gave them wisdom and understanding. He put an excellent spirit within Daniel to understand visions and dreams and matters of wisdom. And the king, when they came before the king, the king questioned and sought them and found that there was none like them that they were ten times better than all of their companions. And so they were appointed as the king's official guides to give him wisdom and insight into the matters. Now, we fast forward, and the next story we see is in Daniel chapter 3, regarding Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were appointed over provinces to be instructors and guides for the king. The king, however, created a large statue, a golden image, close to 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he called all of those who served him, all of those who were over every province, all of those administration, and he called them all together. And he said, you see the statue that I have built. When the music plays, you will fall down and you will worship the statue. He said, lest if you don't, I will throw you into the fiery furnace and you will be consumed and die. Now, when he played the music, there was a large crowd, and so every, everybody seemed to bow. But later on, some of the Babylonians that had bowed came up and reported to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, there are certain young Jews that pay no attention to you. They refuse to listen to your command and listen to your edict. Instead, they don't bow, and they stand. King Nebuchadnezzar became filled with rage and anger, and he called forth Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he asked them, is this true? Do you not bow when the music plays? They they turn and they say to the king, sorry, the king turns and says to them, well, if you bow, well and good, you shall be forgiven. But if you do not bow, who is the God that is to save you out of my hand? I will throw you into the fiery furnace. They turn and they say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. King Nebuchadnezzar became filled with rage, and he commanded that the fiery furnace be turned seven times hotter than it normally was, and it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be bound with their garments and their clothes and thrown into the furnace. It was so hot that the men that came to throw them in were burned up and killed because of the flames and the heat. But as they were thrown in, the king walked by from a distance and he stopped astonished and turned to his counselors and said, did we not throw three men in? Why is it that I see four men walking around unbound and one that looks like the son of the gods. He cries out, come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they come out. The king, they come out and there's nothing wrong with them. There's no burned hair, there's no singe. Even the smell of smoke isn't on their garments. The king turns and says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted the three within Babylon. The next story we see is, comes from Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is a much older man now. He has served King Nebuchadnezzar for his full reign. And the king's son, King Belshazzar, is in command. King Belshazzar is throwing a feast for thousands of his lords. Because the Medes and the Persians are right outside the gates of Babylon, attacking. And King Belshazzar, in his arrogance, throws a party to show that he isn't concerned. He isn't worried about this attack. Who are these Medes and Persians to enter in my kingdom? And so he throws a feast. He begins to drink the, the fine wine that he has. And he remembers his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, that he had conquered Jerusalem. And he remembers the fine gold and cups that he had taken from the temple. And he commands his servants, go and get the cups. Go and get the gold that we had taken from Jerusalem, from the temple of their God. And he takes it. And they begin to drink and lavish and celebrate and they praise the gods of gold and of silver, of bronze and of wood. As they're in the midst of their celebration, in the midst of their feast, the king turns and he sees a hand, a ghostly hand with fingers like a man. And he begins to write an inscription on the wall. The king's knees knock, his color changes and fear grips him as he calls out for the magicians and the enchanters, the sorcerers, to come. He says, whoever can give me the interpretation, whoever can tell me what this says, I will give them a, I will clothe them with a purple robe, I will put a gold necklace around their neck, and I will put them as third in command of the kingdom. But none of them could interpret it. None of them could understand. And then the queen remembered King Nebuchadnezzar. And she said, King Belshazzar, your father had a man named Daniel and whom was the spirit of the holy gods. He can interpret your vision. He can interpret this, this, interp- uh, this writing on the wall. 
And so King Belshazzar calls Daniel forth. And he tells Daniel, if you are able to interpret this, I will give you third reign in the kingdom, clothe you with purple, and give a, a gold necklace around your neck. Daniel says, you can keep the rewards. And you can give the authority to someone else. But I will tell you what it says. You know about your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, that God gave into his hand glory and greatness. But because of his arrogance and his pride, when he thought that it was by his hand that he had gained these things, he was given the mind of beast. And for seven years, seven seasons, he roamed around like an animal with long hair and drinking dew of the grass only until he realized the Most High God rules the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whom he pleases. You knew this, but yet you have not humbled your heart. Instead, you become proud and arrogant, desecrating the holy things of God. Therefore, what the inscription says, it says, meanie, meanie, tekel, and parson. Its interpretation is meanie, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. The king heard this and gave Daniel what he had promised. And that very night, the Medes and Persians entered in and King Belshazzar was killed and Darius was seated upon the throne for the Medes and the Persians at age 62. The next and final story that we hear today is from Daniel chapter 6. Daniel has been in King Darius' reign for a while. The Medes and the Persians set up the provinces. They had 120 governors, 120 rulers that oversaw different sections of of the region. And there were three officials that ruled over the 120, and Daniel was one. Daniel was faithful, and in him was excellence. God gave him favor and understanding. And because of this, King Darius was going to appoint him as above the other two, and that he was going to be second in command. But the other high officials and the other rulers found out about this and sought to trap and, and to, to find accusation against Daniel. But try as they might, they couldn't find any accusation against him in accords with the king or accords with his rulings or his dealings. But instead they said, we will not find any accusation except if we find one against his God. And so they came to King Darius and they said, King, we have come to agreement and we think that it is wise that for the next 30 days you instruct an edict and enforce a law that whoever makes petitions or worships any man or God besides you shall be thrown into the den of the lions. King Darius in his pride and his pomp thought this sounded like a great idea. And so he signed and stamped the law and legislation. No sooner had he done this and Daniel had found out about it, did it come up in Daniel's regular prayer time. You see, Daniel would go up in his house in the upper room with the windows open. He would pray three times a day as he had always done. And when the law came, and when Daniel found out, he did what he always did, and he went and prayed. But they were waiting for him. The high officials and the rulers, they saw, and as soon as they saw Daniel, they went and they told the king, King, did you not say that anyone 
who worships or prays or makes petition to any God besides you will be thrown in the lion's den? You said that, didn't you? And the king agreed, yes, I've said that. I said, your servant Daniel, he was found praying. Then the king's color changed and he desired to find a route of escape for Daniel. But try as he might, he couldn't. And they pressed the king. King, you cannot revoke what you have made. You have made a law and it is sure and it holds fast. Reluctantly, King Darius then walked with Daniel as he was sentenced to go to the lion's den. As he was leaving, he turned and said to Daniel, Daniel, may the God you serve continually, may he rescue you from the lion. The king then went and tried as he might, he couldn't sleep. He told that no distraction be brought to him and he fasted wide awake the entire night, dreading, wondering, hoping that Daniel had survived. As he came down into the lion's den, he asked Daniel, has your God whom you serve continually, has he rescued you from the lions? Daniel said, my God has rescued me. He has sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lion because I was found blameless in his sight for I have done nothing wrong against you, O king. When the king found out about this, he delivered Daniel from the den and he threw his, his accusers into the den And no sooner had they entered than the lions came and crushed their bones and ate them. The king then said, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel, it is he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so we see some glimpses. There are other stories of Daniel that are to be heard and learned. But I want us to look now at these stories and to look at Daniel's example in them. Now, there are so many different ways in which Daniel exemplifies things. Right? I mean, you can look at Daniel and you can see his boldness and his courage. You can look at Daniel and you can see his faithfulness. I mean, you, you can spend a whole time and look at Daniel's prayerfulness. I mean, the fact in Daniel's prayer life and where he finds his strength. There's an amazing thing. I mean, if we had time to go through, but Daniel actually exemplifies for us as American culture what it looks like to go from the majority to the minority. Daniel was in Judah, where he worshipped as the minor, as the majority, where he went with a people that had the cultural influence to do what they pleased. And so, too, if we look in the 50s and 60s, America had a cultural majority of Christians, had our say in, in, in pushing around which politician and what we wanted to do. And now we see Daniel was taken from that cultural majority and put into a cultural minority, where now he is seeking to demonstrate and be faithful in a place that is very different, in a place where they don't serve his God and where he is showing the validity of what it means to worship. And so too, when we look at Daniel, we can learn what it means for us to be faithful and for what us to, to pursue holiness in a culture that doesn't uphold the same values, that doesn't, doesn't care about the same things. But what I really want us to focus on, what I want us to spend the rest of our time today talking about, is how Daniel pursued holiness. 
Daniel's pursuit of holiness is in everything that he does. I mean, you see it, right? Immediately, he pursues holiness by refusing to be defiled by eating the king's food. Instead, he says, I would rather be set apart and be unto the Lord. He pursues, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pursue holiness because they say we would rather die than deny our God and the truth that he is a living God and the only God. You see Daniel, once again, pursuing holiness by proclaiming the truth that the king is going to be dethroned and killed in the midst of the height of his arrogance because he had taken the sacred and clean things of the Lord and treated them as unclean and as common. He was bold and stood forth. Why? Because he pursued holiness. And we see that Daniel pursued holiness by refusing to go against unjust laws. Instead, choosing to serve God as he normally did, not in an exception or show, but instead faithfully as he did every single day, that pursuing holiness was a part of Daniel's life. It is what bred everything else in it, is this pursuit of holiness. So what is holiness? Holy means to be set apart means to be separate. It means to be unique or whole, complete, healthy. God defines holiness. God is holy other, completely separate and distinct, unique in a class all of his own. Holy for God, it means that he lacks, he has no evil. There is no impurity or deficiency in God whatsoever. He is entirely pure. Sin has no place with him. But it's not just negatively what God doesn't have, but it's also positively what God does have. God has every perfection to its completeness. God is perfectly sovereign. He is wholly good. God has all the perfections in their completeness. And this is what makes God holy. Daniel knew this. And because God is holy, he has called us to be holy. God is What it means to be holy is it means to be free. There is nothing that constrains God. He is entirely free to do as he pleases. And what it means to be holy is it it means for us to be free, for sin enslaves us. Sin controls us and dictates us. And when we are holy, we are free. We are free to be what God has made us to be and to operate rather than being enslaved. And it is God's call for us to be holy that stem them on. They obviously read Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. It says, You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And again, in, in chapter 21, verse 8, it says, you shall, consecrate, uh, you, shall be, you shall consecrate him, therefore, for he offers the food for your God, for he shall be holy to you, for I the Lord, for it is I the Lord who sanctifies you. I am holy. They consecrated themselves because the Lord was holy and the Lord had called them to be holy in all of these ways. One of the things that we notice in their pursuit of holiness and in our pursuit of holiness is that you can't commit to being holy, commit to pursuing holiness, to being set apart to God without being tested. Right? I mean, it seems to happen immediately. Right? They commit themselves to being holy and no sooner are they committed than they are tested. I remember being a young Christian and sitting in church and, and hearing for the first time that God had called me to set aside my body into him, that I wasn't to indulge in sexual immorality, but instead I was to pursue him with my heart, with my mind, and with my body. 
that all of my, all of who I was was his, was for him. And I remember committing to that and saying, God, I'm, I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to engage in sexual morality. I'm not going to look at pornography. I'm going to set that aside. Man, and no longer, no sooner that I do that, and all of a sudden you have a cute non-Christian girl wanting to talk to you. You know, no sooner do you do that, and you're sitting watching TV, and all of a sudden an ad comes on, or a show comes on, or you see this great TV and movie that you really just have to watch. When you commit to holiness, you will be tested. We see it in Daniel's life. I remember again, as the Lord brought conviction and brought it home, that I needed to have a day that was separate unto the Lord, that I needed to take the Sabbath seriously. That it wasn't something that I just consulted the Lord about an option, but it was something that he was calling me to. And then it seemed like all of a sudden on Sunday afternoons, everybody wanted to do something. <laughs> Everything was happening, all the things. And, and not only that, but you all of a sudden now, I just had this long list of things to do. And I had to get them done. You, when you commit to being holy, when you commit to being set apart, you'll be tested. Maybe it's God's calling you to refuse to gossip. Maybe it's God's calling you to, to de- devote your time into him and to be set apart. Whatever it is that God is calling you to, you will be tested in that. Why? Why? Because in the testing of it, it clarifies, it encourages, and it even, it even protects and prepares you for later on. When you're tested about something, it clarifies what you really want. Right? Because it's really easy when we're going about for us to deceive ourselves. For us to think, well, I'm really holy. I'm really setting myself apart. I'm really, you know, pursuing the Lord. Well, that is clarified when all of a sudden you have another choice. When you can do something else. And when you can do something else, it becomes very apparent to you and very apparent to everybody else what you're really valuing, what you're really setting yourself apart for. And so God brings tests in our life to clarify for us what it is that we really value. Because oftentimes we don't even know our own heart. And we say things. And I can tell you, usually two to three weeks after I preach something, that is tested in my life. <laughs> because God wants to know, Trevor, were you really following what you were preaching? Or were you preaching it for the simple gain of having people hear it? Or are you seeking to ingrate it in your life? And God tests me on those things. Why? That I would remember that it, I would know my own heart. Not only that I would know my own heart, but that also that it would be a witness to others. Right? When Daniel is tested, that is his biggest witness to everybody else. Because it is where he gets to put God's value and worth on display. Right? When he is, when Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego are tested, that is the very height of the moment where their biggest testimony for God is. And so too, if we skip out on testing, if we fall when it gets hard, we miss out on our biggest opportunity to be a witness for God to show that he is of infinite value, that he is worthy of our lives. He's worth dying for. He's worth living for. So not only this, but but testing actually prepares us for what's coming, right? You see that Daniel is testing something that seems small and insignificant, right? I mean, Daniel, it's not a big deal. It's really good food and it's great wine. Just enjoy it. I mean, he's drinking the best of the best. The king wasn't giving them terrible food or bad wine to drink. And so it wasn't that Daniel was just turning up his nose like a snob. 
Rather, Daniel ate things that probably tasted a lot worse. I don't know about you, but when I have a choice of, of prime rib or a T-bone steak and veggies, I'm probably going for the T-bone steak over the veggies every time, right? But, but there is something about the meat and the wine, whether they were sacrificed to idols or whether they were used in some way that Daniel knew that he was called to abstain. And it was because he was faithful in this small of a matter and something that seemed insignificant that it prepared his heart to be faithful in things that were much bigger and things that mattered more. God prepares us in the tests for future tests, for future opportunities. When we are faithful in the small things, God will then entrust us much. Do you realize that the opportunities and the tests are actually gifts from God? He's giving them to us that we would be found faithful with them. We would be found faithful with the opportunities that he would entrust more opportunities to us, maybe a, a different platform to demonstrate his worth and his value. It might start by something very simple. Maybe the Lord convicts you and you say, you know, maybe I shouldn't be as, maybe I shouldn't watch three to four hours of television every day. Maybe that's not the healthiest thing for me. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to strive to be faithful in this. And I'm going to use this time that I've spent watching and being entertained. And I'm going to instead apply it to maybe getting to know my family a little more. Or I'm going to do and serve in an area. Or I'm going to spend some time set apart for the Lord. Seems like a not a massive thing. It's not the end of the world, but it's you know a fairly substantial thing that the Lord might convict. There's a myriad of other things that God can convict you of, but that perhaps is one. And you say, you know what, I'm going to be faithful in this. I'm going to try to set this aside. I'm going to commit to this. All of a sudden now, the Lord begins to prepare you. Maybe he now gives you a heart with your family or with your neighbors, and you begin to be convicted about the fact that you need to share the gospel and that you have been absent of sharing the gospel, that you believe that being entertained is more important than people coming to know Christ. And now God prepares your heart to now share the gospel and truth. And you step up to something that's probably a little bit of a bigger intimidation, sharing Jesus with people that you, you know, that might not be favorable to Christ. I think that we would say that seems to be a bigger test. You know, how do I share the gospel with people that might be antagonistic or people that don't really know? Well, God is preparing you. God will prepare you for each step as we are faithful in the challenges and the tests that he brings that we might that he might trust more and more. Now that's just that's just one example of a whole different things but as we are tested as we prove faithful and as we pursue God's holiness God will then entrust more. And not only this but it will give us greater courage. I don't know about you but when when the Lord tests me and when I'm found faithful in those things when he encourages me and gives me the grace then it gives me courage. To, to face other things. One of the greatest encouragements is when you're going through something is to remember how God has showed himself faithful and how God has worked through your life. And so the biggest encouragement for you to face a challenge is past challenges, past ways that God has shown himself faithful in the tests. Not only in your life, but also lives of others. God uses your tests and your challenges when you're faithful and when you come to the Lord and say, God, I want to pursue your holiness. He uses those to encourage not only yourself in future times, but also others in present times. There are others around you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. They're going through deep tests and deep challenges, and they need us to, to seek the Lord. They need us to be found faithful, to desire and pursue holiness that we would bring desperately need courage into their lives and speak the truth so we see that pursuing holiness is going to lead us to being tested but that's not a bad thing it's actually a really good thing 
Now, the other thing I want to talk about is that um, we see God's, uh, Daniel's pursuit of God's holiness, and we see God's provision for Daniel, don't we? Time and time again, Daniel is rescued. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are rescued from the fiery furnace. Daniel is spared from the king's wrath. Um, the angel comes and shuts the mouths of lions. Um, and if, if there's anything that history shows us, it's that Daniel is the exception, not the rule. And so what I mean by that is you read the Bible and you actually learn that Daniel is the exception, not the rule. That there are many men and that there are many women that have pursued God's holiness at the cost of their lives. God provides always, but his provision doesn't always look like our physical deliverance. Richard Wormbrand, a pastor in communist Romania, was called forth and was imprisoned for over 14 years in solitary confinement and many times was beaten, broken, and bruised. He, his wife, Sabrina, when they were uh, challenging and, and coming forth, he, she said, I, she challenged him to stand up and proclaim Christ in the midst of a meeting. And he knew that he, he, knew that he would be taken prisoner. And she said, I don't want a coward for a husband. And so he's encouragement from a wife. And so he, he stood, he stood, she knew, she knew what would happen. And he stood up and pursued holiness. And God in that midst, in that instance, didn't choose to deliver him from prison, but instead gave him over. And he was in prison for 14 years. Rachel Stott, a young girl from Colorado in high school, finally got convicted as she pursued Jesus more. And in her journal entry said, I'm tired of, I'm tired of playing the game. I'm tired of saying one thing with my life, doing the exact opposite. I'm going to be all in. I'm giving Christ all of myself. Over the next year, she writes that she lost different friends and was ridiculed for certain stands that she took. She was a student at Columbine when the two shooters came in. And they put a, head, they put a gun to her head and asked her, do you still follow Jesus? And she said, yes. And they shot her. And they, they asked why and then shot her with no response. We see in her journal, she wrote down, whatever it takes, I will follow you. Am I living or am I dying? I'm ready. I give you everything. And it cost her her life in the pursuit of holiness. John Huss, one of the early reformers, stood against Rome, proclaiming that that the right to have scripture was due to every person. And he was burned at the stake for his pursuit of holiness. When it means to pursue holiness, is it means to give up our life. It might look like small ways and it might look like big ways. It might look like giving up some entertainment. It might look like choosing to, to give up some preferences. It might look like saying no to certain things that our culture says yes to. It might look bigger. It might look like going where God calls you to go and giving up your physical life for the kingdom of God. Ultimately, all pursuit of holiness starts with a desire to realize that we must, we must give up our life. We must die to ourselves and live to Christ. So, I want to talk and finish with... How do we practically pursue holiness? 
right? How do we how do we do what we're called to do? I think all of us are probably at the point, at least I know I am, of saying, yeah, that's great. I want to commit to holiness. Like I would love to pursue and, and do pursue holiness. But how do we do it? What's the process of actually pursuing holiness, of actually being free of sin and of chasing after being separate and, and, uh, and set apart unto God? As I was preparing for the message, I was reading a book by Brian Chappell. It was um, called Seeing the, the Gospel According to Daniel, Seeing a Christ-Centered Approach to the Book. And it was really good. Um, it, he talks about in the intro, intro of the book that when we approach Daniel, we often are tempted to make Daniel this hero. We make Daniel this hero and we turn the book of Daniel into hero worship. Basically, we look at Daniel and we say, man, look at Daniel. If I could just be like Daniel, then my life would be better. Then my life would be okay. And he says we actually invert the entire message of Daniel when we, when we make it about Daniel, when we make it about him. And he says this. He says, God saves a sinful and weak people. He preserves young men from impurity and old men from lions. He answers prayer and interprets dreams. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. He vindicates the faithful and vanquishes the profane. He rescues covenant-forsaking people by returning them to the land of covenant. And he promises a glorious future to those with a sinful past. Daniel acts on the grace God repeatedly provides. But God is always the one who first provides the opportunity, resources, and rescue needed for Daniel's faithfulness. If we reverse the order and make God's grace dependent on Daniel's goodness, then we forsake the gospel message that Daniel is telling and produce the hero worship of adventure tales rather than divine worship of the gospel according to Daniel. What he says in this really convicted me because he says, if we preach a message from Daniel that basically says you need to try harder, do more, be holier, then we preach a message that is unchristian. If our message can be preached in a mosque to, Jew, to, to Muslims or in a temple to Jews or in another temple to Hindus, then it defies the message of grace that God has given us. He says that, that we have to read and preach Daniel as Christians. Why? Ultimately because of the power of grace to stimulate love for God. The gospel truth of Christ's sacrificial death for us to satisfy God's wrath against us, it fills our hearts with love rather than fear and mere obligation towards God. It is love for God that drives, that drives out our love for the world. For without love for the world, its temptations lose their power. We are simply not tempted to do what we have no desire to do or to despair over what we do not hold most dear. Grace leads to godliness. That is why it is so important to find and flesh out the gospel of grace in the book of Daniel. When we approach Daniel, and this is as we close, we can't say that I just need to be more committed. I just need to try harder. There is, as we see, Daniel genuinely made real commitments to pursuing holiness. Right? There wasn't a lack, and Daniel didn't sit back and say, holiness will just come upon me. I'm just going to be a couch potato. No, Daniel genuinely made commitments. He responded to the convictions of the Lord. He made choices. But ultimately, I think one of the things that Daniel realized is, is that holiness wasn't a list of do's and don'ts. And I think for most of us, even hearing this right now, we think of a list of things that I should be doing and a list of things that I shouldn't be doing. And we turn it into a game of if I can, do, if I don't do as many things as I as I then can do, then I'm doing really well in pursuing holiness. 
And this whole idea really clicked in and became clear when I was watching a movie. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. It's based on a book by Brennan Manning. And the movie is, is really good. Um, it's about Rich Mullins, who was a gospel writer, gospel singer, and it's about his life and how he goes through these massive ups and downs. And basically, the, the gospel is for ragamuffins. The gospel is for the broken, the low down, the sinful, those that can't, can't save themselves, can't fix themselves. And Rich didn't have a good father figure. You know, his dad was always driving him, always telling him to do better, always telling him that he wasn't enough and he was never good. And so Rich meets this, uh, his college roommate, Sam, and he loves Sam's dad. Sam's dad is just this awesome guy, and, and he loves being with him. He loves learning from him. And so when Rich is going through this hard spell in his life, he goes and he moves in with his roommate's dad just to see what does it look like to be a man? What does it look like to love a wife and to lead a family and pursue Christ? And there's this awesome conversation that they have is that uh, his dad's roommate is on the way to go get milk for his wife and uh, and Rich is out on the steps sitting down and just thinking about life and just meditating upon what does it mean to even follow Jesus. And uh, and his his roommate's dad sits down and, and they, they begin talking about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be holy and to be set apart. And his dad, his roommate's dad says something that I think is just so profound and it stuck with me. Is he, he says, you know what holiness is? Holiness is loving God in the moment. And for me, that just clicked home. Because when we realize that holiness isn't about a list of things that I do and a list of things that I don't do, that really holiness is about a relationship of loving God in each moment, and moment after moment after moment, then it becomes a joy rather than a chore then it becomes something that we desire to do rather than something that we simply obligatory have to do. It's when we look at Jesus and realize that, that he was holy and perfect, that he came and that he became as us, that he became unholy and he became defiled, that he became forsaken and cast off, that we who are unholy and sinful might be brought near to God and be called holy, be called pure, be called righteous in God's sight. It's when we realize that. It's when we see that exchange truly and deeply, not just when we understand it, for it's so easy to repeat that, but to truly and deeply meditate on the holiness of God and the fact that he would forsake that and take on filth and uncleanness and unrighteousness that we will be clothed in him the love that he showed. It's this love for us that motivates our love for him. Only when we realize the depth that God loves us will we respond in loving him. It's this that drives our holiness. It's this that, that causes us to choose God over false idols, to seek God in prayer at the risk of death, to speak the truth to others in love, even though it might cost us a relationship or might cost us everything. So the application is really to stop and to meditate on the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we meditate on that, let that drive out the worldliness in our hearts. Let that push us and consume us and give us holy ambition to pursue holiness and be set apart unto the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are holy and that you would forsake your holiness, that we who are unclean, who have forsaken you, who have turned and worshipped false idols, would be clothed with your holiness. 
Help us, God, in each moment to love you. Forgive us in the many ways in which we fall and help us, God. Help us to pursue. Convict us of ways in which you call us to repent and help us to choose to act on the grace that you've given and the opportunities that you're showing us. We do love you and we praise you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.